Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you your majesty would be thrown down into the lion's den the king answered the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians which cannot be repealed then they said to the king Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you your majesty or to the decree you put in writing He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now going to jump over to First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. To every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Thanks, Darren. Morning, everyone. Paul Coop is my name, uh, but most people call me Coop, so um, you can feel free to call me either of those. Uh, Let's pray uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us today. Father, we ask that you give us hearts to hear and wills to respond. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, 
I thought I'd just share. I was talking to my kids earlier this week, and I um, so I asked them a question and said, "Have I?" And I thought they'd have to think about this. I said, "If I ever asked, have you ever asked me a question, and where I said to you, well, you know, it's sort of yes or no, yes and no is the answer," and they immediately said to me, "Are you kidding? Like it's like every day. Like if we say, you know, can we have dessert? You go, oh yes, no, I don't know, ask mum. Or if you say, uh, if we say, can we watch TV?" You go, oh, yes, no, I don't know, ask mum. And I got this sense, they get, it's really frustrating when you get like a yes and no answer. Um, but I'm afraid um, this morning, I'm going to be doing the same thing. Because the, the question, as uh, Brian said, that we're looking at this morning is, does religious freedom matter? And uh, the answer to that question, I think, is yes and no, just depending on the context and uh, which way you're looking at it. So hopefully, these next few minutes won't be as frustrating as uh, me telling my kids about dessert uh, or TV, but we'll have a look at what the Bible's got to say about religious freedom, and we'll do it from the perspective of society, of our society, and we'll do it from um, the perspective of the individual, our own perspective. So firstly, um, the common sense view of religious freedom. So does um, religious freedom matter to Australian society in general? And I think the answer to that question is yes, it does matter. Common sense says religious freedom matters because freedom matters. Freedom matters in our society. But uh, the common sense view, actually, it's changed, and it's changed pretty remarkably, um, even in the last you know, five to ten years. So let's take a quick walk through um, some history. We'll go back to 1948, so this is just after the Second World War. And the Universal Declaration of Human Rights has been drawn up by the United Nations. And this is um, a picture of it here. This is Eleanor Roosevelt. And um, Australia was a founding member of the United Nations. And so if you think about that, this has been written up with the background of the Second World War in everybody's minds and all the atrocities and concentration camps, all that sort of thing that had happened. And, uh, and this declaration was, was drawn up. Uh, thinking through those things. And Article 18, which I've got here on the screen, of this declaration says that everybody has the right to freedom of religion. Everybody has that right. And it goes on to say they have the right to manifest their religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship and observance. So if you think through those terms, I mean, that's a lot of freedom when it comes to religion. And so in Australian law, the line that was drawn around religious freedom um, was when it came to violence. So you have the right to religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship and observance. That exists. You're free to believe what you like so long as what you do and what you say doesn't incite violence. Like you can't do that. You can't go that far. So when it comes to harming others, that's where it has to stop. And so we've had these protections in place for a long time and Australia as a nation, has been peaceful. If you think through the changes in society, we've become more and more multicultural, haven't we? We've had more and more people come into Australia with different religious beliefs, and largely we've existed peacefully alongside one another. Um, Very tolerant. And so since 1948, I think we can say that our society has held religious freedoms uh, very highly. Religious freedom matters. And of course, today, uh, freedom, we still prize freedom, don't we? Particularly the freedom of the individual. Uh, 
whose highest values become self and self-identity. So freedom is still very important to us as a nation to the point that I can freely define my identity and who I am however I like, just so long as it doesn't harm anybody else. But today, harm isn't limited to violence or inciting violence. Now, we've heard some of that over the last couple of weeks. You know, if I don't endorse someone's identity, if I take a, a different view, then that may be considered harmful. And so I wonder if you can see the difference there, that this boundary has sort of moved in. Harm is no longer about inciting violence. It's, it's before that. It's, it's where it causes some sort of harmful offence. And that's changed the public perception of religious freedom. So suggesting that someone's identity of themselves isn't the way that you see it, um, being engaged in those sorts of discussions can be considered discriminatory, can be considered hateful, and today it can be considered an attack on the essence, the very essence actually of that person, you know, of who they are. And so we still have these um, religious freedoms, that's still enshrined in Australian law, but the mood in society's changed okay to have a religion, it's okay to believe in something, you're free to do that, just so long as you keep it to yourself and it doesn't cause a harmful offence. And so the common sense view is that religious freedom does matter because freedom matters, but it mustn't cause harmful offence and actually it's just best left a personal thing. And to a large extent, actually, the Bible agrees with the common sense view of the world. There's lots of common ground there. Which brings me to the second point that I'd like us to take a look at, which is what the Bible says about religious freedom. So the Bible says that religious freedom does matter. And if you remember last week, um, we spoke about God making humanity in his own image back in Genesis 1. This was one of the verses we looked at. He gave us a capability for knowledge and for thought and for actions. And he did all of that in a morally upright way. Gave us a will to make decisions and to act. And these things, these gifts given to us, supposed to be used in the service of the Lord. But as we looked uh, through Genesis last week, humanity chose to turn from God. And then a little bit further on in this book of Genesis, we see that even after God floods the earth, if you remember that, to remove sinful humans from it, here in Genesis 9, God saves Noah and his family, but then he sends them out with the same task. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And he goes on here in verse 6 to reaffirm that humans are in his own image. For in the image of God has God made mankind, it says. So even after the fall, still have something in the image of God, still have some moral understanding and this task to rule the world under God, and so we still have this ability to make decisions and to act. This ability to make decisions and to act. And so do you remember Joshua who led the Israelites into the promised land? He led them after Moses. And as uh, Joshua reached the end of his life, he says this to the Israelites, he says this to the people. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. See, we, we badly want people to turn and follow Jesus, don't we? To know Jesus, but we can't force them. We can't force people to do that, and God doesn't want us to try. People will only truly know God and love him if they do it freely. And in 1 Timothy 2, chapters 1 to 4, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So peaceful and quiet lives he talks about here, where the gospel can be demonstrated in how we live, where it can be freely spoken. So we see religious freedom matters to God. And so in that respect, the common sense view and God's view of religious freedom is aligned. There's some common ground there. Religious freedom matters to God. So all good so far, right? But we don't believe in anything unless we first come to understand it and accept it, do we? If we think about how we come to believe in something, we need to understand it and accept it. And the Christian faith says... Jesus redeemed us on the cross. He provided a way to God through him and his death in our place. He paid the ultimate price, the ultimate cost for our eternal well-being. And he did it because he loves. And so because of that, we seek others' well-being at our cost. We seek others' well-being at our cost. And Jesus himself said that, didn't he? Christians are to love their neighbours as themselves. And so if we understand that and we accept it, what that actually tells us is that Christians can't keep their belief to themselves. They can't. That's different to that common sense view of what religious freedom is, isn't it? This is is where we part ways. See, both of those views agree that freedom, religious freedom is important, but Christians can't keep it a private affair and keep it to themselves. It's not because we want to tell people that they're wrong or that they're sinful or that they're broken. It's because we love them. It's not because we're haters or bigots. It's because we love. And that is quite a contrast, isn't it? It's not hateful. It's not bigotry. It's actually love. If we really believe there's an eternity... And only Jesus gets you right with God. Only Jesus gets you to be with him instead of without him. Well then actually it would be hateful to not go and tell people about it. To go and tell people about him. And that cuts right across today's culture. Cuts right across it. Now let me give you um, an example of that. There was a... My first church in Sydney... Uh, there was uh, one of our ministers was in a pub in in Sydney, not in church, 
He was in a pub in Sydney. And uh, anyway, he was there with a friend and his friend saw someone that he knew and he waved him over and the guy came over to say hello and they get introduced. And this guy realises that um, uh, this guy's a minister. And so he goes straight on the offensive. He goes, oh, okay, you're one of them. You must hate me then, right? Because I'm gay. You must hate me. And this minister says, mate, no way. He says, mate, you don't, you don't, that is not right at all. Like, he says, I don't hate you, he says. How can you say that? Just come and sit down. Come and sit down and let me tell you what I believe. And the guy comes and sits down. And so he has an opportunity to tell him about Jesus. And so do you see what he did there? didn't start with the issue that the guy presented him with. He starts by explaining why he's a Christian. Why does he believe what he believes? He starts with the gospel. And it just doesn't mean there won't be a point of conflict. I mean, at some point there will be because the implications of the gospel don't support the way this man lives. But he doesn't start there. And he probably didn't get there in that first conversation anyway. That's loving, actually. This bloke sharing his faith with the other bloke so that he might be saved. And the common sense view of religious freedom says he probably should have kept it to himself. But his identity in Christ means he can't do that. He's got to tell people about his faith. That's part of who he is. He's someone who loves and he wants to see other people saved. Now, one other thing, um, just before we move on to our final point. Religious freedom also matters because it facilitates and promotes discussion in the public square. A peaceful, ordered society will do that. It will allow rational discussion. So, for example, um, should Sikh children be allowed to wear ceremonial daggers to school? This was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald a couple of weeks ago, a 16-year-old boy was stabbed with one of these uh, by a 14-year-old boy. There was some bullying or something going on. And, and the rights of the younger child to wear a ceremonial dagger like this was defended on religious grounds. Or this guy, he's from Noosa in Queensland and he recently went to the Supreme Court and he's arguing that on religious grounds, religious freedom grounds, he should be able to teach Satanism in schools. And here he is, he's standing outside of school uh, making his point. Well, a free, ordered society allows the discussion and the evaluation of what's at the core of these beliefs, doesn't it? It allows that discussion. And at the centre of the Christian faith is to seek the well-being of others at our own cost. And I think we can mount an argument that says ceremonial daggers in the school environment ultimately may not be seeking the well-being of others. And nor is teaching something that's patently evil. But a society that upholds religious freedom, it it permits these discussions in the public space. It helps society find those boundaries. Where are the right boundaries? It doesn't censor those discussions. And actually, in allowing those discussions, it allows Christians to expose false, false teaching and to share the truth of the gospel. And that's where 2 Timothy 4, 
where Paul is urging Timothy to continue proclaiming the truth, even as false teachers gather around those who don't want to hear the truth. So religious freedoms will allow those discussions to be undertaken and for Christians to speak into them and to shine a light on the truth. Well, that's the second point. The Bible says religious freedom matters. And the final point that I'd like us to take a look at today is that the Bible says religious freedom doesn't matter. Which sounds a bit confusing, doesn't it? Like me telling the kids whether they can have dessert or not. Yes and no. But the Bible is clear that we're to respect authorities. We heard that in our reading from 1 Peter. To respect authorities, pray for them and follow their instruction. That was 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority and so on. But what happens when authorities overextend themselves and start removing religious freedoms which was the case for Daniel in the Old Testament the reading that we heard this morning where King Darius decreed that people could only pray to him and Daniel turns to God and prays anyway what happens then well the very beginning of that uh, that verse there in 1 Peter submit yourself submit yourselves for the Lord's sake in other words Submit to the authorities because of Christ. He was the example given to us of submission. And so for his sake, we submit to those that he puts in authority. That brings about this order that God loves. And it's where we can do more than just observe the law. We can do good. That's what glorifies God. Or we can do good and glorify God. We do it for the Lord's sake. But it's for the Lord's sake. We only have one master. Christ is Lord. And so these examples in the Bible of disobedience, it's for that reason, isn't it? It's for the Lord's sake. Daniel disobeying Darius is one example. Acts 5 is another where we see Peter, he's brought in before the high priest and he says this. The apostles, well the the text says this, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. See, in both cases, they were disobedient, weren't they? But they weren't unsubmissive. Daniel disobeyed by praying to God. But he submitted to the king's judgment and got thrown into the lion's den. Peter doesn't struggle as he's brought in here to the Sanhedrin, but he disobeys them as he says he must obey God. So we have to be really careful how we apply this to our own situations, but ultimately from a personal perspective to the Christian, religious freedom doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in that I'll continue to proclaim the gospel, I'll continue to talk about Jesus, regardless of how marginalised I become. Or what legal constraints might be put in place. But I'll do it in love. And I'll take care that it's not me that's being offensive. But I'll continue to share my faith. Because Christ is Lord. And in that respect, religious freedom doesn't matter. Doesn't change who I am in Christ. 
1 Peter chapter 1 says this. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So does religious freedom matter? Yes and no. And I hope that was clearer than when my kids asked me about dessert. So let's pray. Let's pray now for a society that holds up religious freedom and allows an open discussion about faith and belief. And let's also pray that regardless of this environment that we're in, we'd be bold, we'd continue to hold up Christ as Lord, continue to speak into that public space and proclaim him to those who need to hear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Son through whom we're saved to be with you and under whose feet you've placed everything. Father, we ask that you'd work in our world for freedom to speak, to discuss belief, to do that openly. Father, we pray you'd give us wisdom in discerning the times to speak, particularly as society and laws change. And Father, in difficult times, please help us to be bold and to be reassured that you are Lord of all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.